Welcome ravenous readers and culture consumers to Bohemian Geek Studies. The place where nerdy knights gather to geek out and share our insatiable thirst for intellectual discussions about our favorite books, shows, and movies. Last time, we explored the inherent magic and darkness of author Roald Dahl. Absolutely fantastic in light of what a magical influence he has on young and returning readers. And it's really impressive to see kind of the gray wizard of him in a manner of speaking. <laughs> yes, definitely. It was really fun to do a little deep dive on him. I knew a couple things, but going back and studying him even more and going over his influences for Matilda was really interesting. Loved yeah. it. And so for you all who might recognize these lovely, lovely tones, this is host Sarah O'Connor here with Colleen McMillan. Welcome. Returning. Returning guest. This is so fun. Returning guest. And let me do a humble flex brag on your behalf. Oh, dear. Best selling, I'll say it, best selling author who signed, <laughs> who sold out of her book signing at Barnes and Noble. So why don't you give a little plug on your title before uh, we get into the episode? Thank you so no big much. Deal. <laughs> yep, I'm turning red at this exact moment. I actually had my first ever book signing yesterday here in Minnesota at my home Barnes and Noble bookstore where I used to work. My book is Men of the Year. It's a romantic comedy about online dating. And the stories that are in this book, even though it's fiction, were taken from real dates, some mine, some my friends. So it was an interesting thing to get written. Not my usual writing genre. I'm more of a horror slash thriller author, but it was super fun to write. I love every minute of it. And I'm super, super excited. Pick up your copy. Really, really fun (laughs) for her. Um, And so in a complete and utter 180 from the fun and frivolity of online dating, we mm-hmm. return once again to the Wormwood household before next episode going to school. Colleen, do you want to introduce today's theme since you coined it quite nicely? Of course. Uh, the theme for this one was a little hard to decide on at first, but after rereading the chapters, I finally came to this episode. Uh, we discussed the theme of escalation yep. as it pertains to Matilda herself escalation within the family since she's been doing all these punishments and things it's escalating week by week her punishments are escalating her father's ire and anger escalating everybody's just getting really bad yep exactly and so as part of this theme of escalation what we're going to do is actually escalate the pace in which we're covering chapters because I am getting ready to talk about her going to (laughs) school, getting out of this toxic little household, Mm -hmm. and seeing what kind of inherent magic Matilda has. So for this episode, what we're going to do with Colleen is do a short summary of chapter five, detailed dorky dive into some key quotes, and then to a character study on Mrs. No First Name Wormwood <laughs> before we do the same thing for chapter six. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. I love to talk about Mrs. Wormwood. And so with that roadmap in mind, let's start our short recap into chapter five before we get into that detailed dorky dive.
So we look at chapter five, arithmetic. In the opening of this chapter, we get a POV into Matilda's mind before diving into the action of the story. She wishes her parents were better, but she knows this is never going to be possible. We also know that Matilda feels trapped. She's a five-year-old girl. She's obligated to do whatever she's told, but she also has this little punishment scheme in mind. It's her safety valve, the thing that prevents her from going crazy, basically. She gets to enact all of these splendid revenges on her parents. This is pretty troubling. We're getting back toward the thing where I talked about inherent darkness in Matilda in the last pod, and we get to see this in kind of how her brain is cycling into her punishment scheme, because It is technically a reaction against her father's actions, but still, it is revenge. And should we be taking revenge on our parents in this way? We're not really sure. But we're going to take a deeper dive into this chapter and see what Matilda's father does to get her to go into her next revenge scheme. All right, listeners, now it's time for our first detailed dorky dive. This little section is going to be more about the desire to have good protectors. Now, first up on our quotes is one that honestly breaks my heart into a million Mm -hmm. bajillion pieces, where the narrator writes, quote, Matilda longed for her parents to be good and loving and understanding and honorable and intelligent. The fact that they were none of these things was something she had to put up with. Oh, it's like a stab in my heart. It is. From such an incredibly young age, she learns from inside her own home that authoritarian figures and or those who are supposed to serve as protective role models might not be able to do that and to be so alone and to see that and to have that called mm-hmm. out by the narrator, it just rips you It's to incredibly pieces. sad. She is just this very introspective, lovely young girl who desperately wants to be good and do good, but none of her role models at home are teaching her any of this. And I wish, I wish one of the things that I think myself and the other co-hosts and you, dear reader, may think on is... What do we expect from children in these situations? What do we expect from adults who who used to live in those situations? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to help those individuals, especially in light of and despite their flaws that that we see beginning in Matilda at such a super young, young. Age. she's four and five when she's starting to do all these little machinations I liked one of your other notes where you said is Matilda actually a purely good character <laughs> exactly exactly and that's what pins us to the next quote and I think dovetails really nicely into who Roald Dahl apparently was as a person this this lightness and this darkness because speaking of machinations hit me up with the def- definition in the next quote what what are we talking about here matilda's machinations what what does that machinations? mean Pauline? are we looking at that word oh yeah hit, hit us up with a vocab definition right all now. right well machinations are plans and plots and schemes which are all basically the same thing i'm bringing out my thesaurus here it's yeah, and sometimes I feel used... like that was a Tyrion thing too. <laughs> yes. right? plots, plots, and schemes are the same thing. Cersei yes. Lannister, and usually seen in a negative light. If you have machinations, yeah. it's usually seen in a negative light, machine-like. Very good. And so Matilda's machinations, as we've seen in past chapters, and we'll see moving forward, 
is to enact some pretty serious revenge against those she thinks has harmed her. And she likes characterizing these plots and schemes and machinations for revenge as quote unquote lessons. And so justice, justice, exactly. And so (laughs) the book goes on to say, quote, it was not easy to do so, but the new game this new game of thrones she had invented of Mm -hmm. punishing one or both of them aka her parents each time they were beastly to her made her life more or less bearable aka (laughs) causing others harm and discomfort pleased her and brings her comfort yikes and joy it's it's sparking joy (laughs) yikes so not a great look. And so like I feel kind of guilty that Will's not on here or Matt or Flo, like actual parents. I mean, here we are going right. renegade to to <laughs> talking about the children. Yeah, two two young arguable Matildas ourselves talking about mm-hmm. whether or not this is appropriate child behavior. Um correct. Or parental behavior or parental also. Parental behavior. And so this idea of you know, what exactly is beastly? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. reading these books of whimsy and fantasy, part part of it is to escape into a world that is absolutely unbelievable, right? Yes. And these do seem like she's been exaggerating their behavior a little bit. Yes! If it's from her point of view, it's a kid. A kid thinks that their parent not giving them a quarter is the end of the world. For sure. For sure. Especially, I mean, honestly, if a parent has said, you're going to get me a quarter, a kid remembers, man. Oh, like, yes. That's, yes, they do. That's locked. Mm-hmm. But on but on the other hand, there's this horrible reality that Roald Dahl and the children that are his protagonists dealt with very serious abuses or deaths or trials and tribulations. And so sometimes I almost, I wonder about humans gravitating towards this almost perverse subconsciously. Yes. This exactly what Matilda's talking about viewing other people's pain and learning from it, but also sometimes what's called whitewashing, diluting the grittier, nastier, not as shiny details about a story. Because you can see parents today telling their kids to shut up. Yes! It's not something that Matilda is imagining. Her father actually says this to her. And that is very beastly. Yep. Like, he did tear her book apart. That is beastly. That is beastly. But there are times... as an aunt, as someone going out into the public watching people, you know, survive and thrive with their little packs, their family packs, <laughs> there are yes. times where it's necessary for for children, for adults, for people to be more silent for social conformity purposes. Yes, not be precocious. And and I love and hate that. Perhaps yes. that's one of the reasons why I don't have kids yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> so, so I, you know, there's, there's the tongue in cheek of like, bless this mess. All you parents out there, yes. bless, bless your you. mess. 
Yes. Mm. Bless, I couldn't do it. Bless your mess. And I think this is a nice segue to start talking about autonomy. Yes. I think you, we should talk about how she's alone on the weekdays. Because she says she always, quote, quote, she always had to stay alone on weekday afternoons. And whenever she was told to shut up, she had to shut up, end quote. And that's so sad. She's yeah. home alone. Her mom is at, quote, unquote, bingo. Her dad is at his work. Michael must be at school. So she's just sitting there in the house alone, even if she has books still. Yep. That's hard for a little kid. Yep. And I think, again, there were different times and different social expectations. And I expect this might also be culturally. But I know mm -hmm. in the community, communities I've lived in, having a five or six year old left at home alone would not be tolerated by neighbors. No. If if even if we, my age, it was not okay. Yeah, eight, eight maybe. Yeah, like I I can't remember when I first started being able to be a babysitter. I feel like it was at least you had to hit the two digits. <laughs> yes, you know, like two yep. two Once digit you responsibility. 10, you know, uh, life life accomplishment unlocked, if you will. Um, and then you could have your autonomy when you hit the one zero. Yeah. <laughs> But I, it, it is, I, I feel for families that are by necessity, and we'll get into this when we do our character study on Mrs. Wormwood, whether this truly is a one income or two income household. Mm -hmm. But I feel for the families that are two income households that want to be involved with the kids. And it's just, but, can't. but just can't. Mm -hmm. but just can't. that was my mom and dad the dual income we had daycare like they did not leave us alone at home until we were old enough but it was still hard yeah you're like but where are mom and dad oh they have to make money because they have jobs and kids don't get that yeah and i mean i certainly didn't when i was younger and i i still miss that time and it's if, if you're a two income household and you're <laughs> sitting there going i wish i could play with my kid i wish i could read with my kid and you're a kid sitting there going, I mm -hmm. wish I had more time with with my parent. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yes, you're definitely not the Wormwoods. Yeah, you are definitely not the Wormwoods. There, there is a line, folks. Our hearts are with you, I suppose. Completely, completely. I think we can now turn to, quote, being yes. very small and very young. The only power Matilda had over anyone in her family was brain power. And I love mm. that quote. I love. That's fantastic. That's I, how I felt when I was younger. <laughs> yes. I would argue that everyone's best power, if properly utilized and honed, is their brain power. Yes, definitely. And it gets pushed aside a lot in school when you're called a nerd or a geek because you're smart. That completely gets railroaded unless you have a good teacher. The next the next quote that we're going to dive into deals with some of the sexism that was at least apparent within Matilda's household um, from a learning standpoint, who was allowed to learn, who wasn't allowed to learn, what responsibilities each gender had for a cohesive mm -hmm. family unit. And it seems like in the Wormwood household, they don't have healthy attitudes at all 
Um, because the book goes on to say, for sheer cleverness, she could run rings around all of them, aka her family at this point. She hasn't gone to school yet. She only knows, to our knowledge, Mrs. Phelps, the librarian. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> the it. Only people She's she got knows. a short list of friends. <laughs> but the fact remained that any five-year-old girl, not child, any five-year-old girl in any family was always obligated to do as she was told, however asinine the orders might be. Yikes! Yes. Yikes! Colleen, first of all, what's what's one of your favorite words, and why? And then why does it apply here? <laughs> hit us! Hit us with those two truths. Yes, this is one of my most favorite words in all of the English language. Asinine. It's fantastic. I love using it. A lot of times people think you're swearing. You're not. Asinine is a real word. It means extremely stupid or foolish. So it is kind of still a mean word. Oh, yeah. But you're not swearing. It's still funny to yell at people. And I feel like let me give some um, ant advice to any mm -hmm. kids out there. You can use what's called a pregnant pause. <laughs> so ass. A nine can be a very, very fun word to play with, but yes. you, but you didn't hear it from Aunt Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so why does <laughs> asinine apply here, Colleen? Why is that a very nice word choice for doll to use here? It's a fantastic word for him to use. First of all, it's a higher level vocab word yep. that a five-year-old girl normally wouldn't know. So she must have seen it while she was reading and either looked it up in the dictionary what it meant or figured out from context clues in what she was reading that it meant. Because she's using it in the correct form here, her parents obviously give her some pretty stupid or foolish orders. Such as? And as a girl... It depends. It's usually sit in front of the TV, put your book away, yep. which Matilda would see as asinine. Other people, if they're observing the family, might not. They might think, oh, this kid obviously has her nose in a book all the time and her family members just want her to pay attention. Aha. Yep. So to the parents, it's not an asinine order, but to Matilda or any other young person who just wants to read their book, which was definitely me, I could read for like three hours and be fine. It would seem really awful yep. that they were asking us to do this absolutely absolutely i know you wanted to talk about the choice of the word girl a little bit more too yeah and kind of go into that little trope that we've got going on here yeah so in addition to highlighting the word asinine i also wanted to highlight the fact that doll chose to say girl instead of child so child encompasses any gender, right? We don't worry about which gender we're talking about. A kid's got to obey parents, safety yes. first, y yes. you know, teach your, teach your children and be raised with healthy autonomy and healthy boundaries. But at the end of the day, parents may have set forth rules that you don't understand. But guess what? There's a reason why you don't touch the stove, even when you think it's off. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason you don't cross the street alone. Exactly. And so so one would think, well, that applies to any child of any gender. But here the author chose girl. And fortunately for Colleen and I, and <laughs> we are girls. We are girls. <laughs> 
Fortunately <laughs> for us, we're at a time in our history where we've been able to not only go to high school, but go to college and pursue higher levels of education. Right. This was not the case for Matilda. No, she would have a chance maybe to finish high school and then be expected to get married. Yep. Have her own family, maybe become a teacher if she were lucky or a librarian. Yep. If she were lucky. And let's and let's also be clear in light of the um recent production of Little Women, which I heard was fantastic and I need to see. That's wonderful. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be a mama or wanting to be a librarian or wanting to do those kind of professions. Nothing wrong with it. Absolutely not. What is... But we want the choice. Exactly. (laughs) We want the choice. And so it can be hard... As a reader, and interestingly enough, I'd love your insight as an author, Colleen, um, the idea that we return to these books, these treasure troves from our childhood that we want to share with our children for the wonderful lessons that they contain, it, Mm -hmm. it can be troubling returning and seeing some of the xenophobic remarks that will be forever embedded in those texts. And navigating them. Mark Twain is a tough read Yeah, when you get older and realize this is not okay. I know it's a product of its time. Yeah. But troubling. Yeah. And I I wish in some regards we had Will or Matt on, not that they get to speak for all men everywhere, because that's not how (laughs) it works, listeners. (laughs) But... I I know for me, when I was reading as a young girl, there were certain characteristics of Miss Trunchbull, Miss Honey, and Matilda that even when I was a kid, there was a discomfort alarm that went yes. off. Yeah, like, why can't she be good at math, Mr. Wormwood? Yeah, and so I just wanted to... It's one of the things that we will probably return to throughout this entire episode, actually, as we challenge who Mrs. Wormwood was as a character and as a mother um, and as a role model of sorts for Matilda. But it is interesting, and I wanted to highlight that singular important word choice because words do matter. Yes, they do. And this one was a critical one for me when I was younger and returning to it. And I also I also like the idea, since you and I are Star Wars fans, this idea (laughs) that every child is always obligated to do as they were told. Well, right. I'm not a Sith. I don't (laughs) deal in absolutes. Uh, No. Yeah. We, We live in the gray. Yeah. So I suppose I'm a little bit precocious in that manner. And I think I think some level of precociousness is healthy. Yes, completely. But I'm biased. <laughs> right, right. Be like, yeah, be you, be you. Just, just don't touch that fire, please. Right, exactly. There are limits. Can we segue into our Sith? Yeah. <laughs> our Sith guided dark side. I think we talk. can. And Colleen, would you... Since I think you understand Sith lore a little bit better than me, I'm not. I'm not saying personally, um. <laughs> right? I'm definitely not a Sith readers and listeners. <laughs> I might be, but that's fine. 
Um, <laughs> That's fine. Too. Why don't you hit us with some of that dark, that additional dark side that we keep seeing increase in Matilda as we get to know her further and further along? Excellent. All right, dear listeners, our next point of topic is going to be turning towards and learning the dark side. And you can put of the force in brackets after that if you want. To quote Matilda, her safety valve, the thing that prevented her from going round the bend, was the fun of devising and dishing out these splendid punishments. And the lovely thing was that they seemed to work, at any rate, for short periods. The father, in particular, became less cocky and unbearable for several days after receiving a dose of Matilda's magic medicine. Great alliteration there, doll. Yeah, I like that. I love alliteration. So first of all, we've already got it on the record that Matilda does use magic. It's magic medicine. So, <laughs> yes. so seed planted for feeder school. I totally believe that she is in the same world as Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Maybe earlier. But yes, I can definitely see that the quill is moving at Hogwarts when Matilda's starting to do all these little things. Yeah, exactly. And so... This is this is a, once again another quote where we see an unhealthy outlet for her anger and frustration. She doesn't know where to put these emotions. Um, it's kind of all bubbling up inside of her. I'm yes. I'm blanking. I'm embarrassed. In Fantastical Beasts, yes, is it an obscurist? The obscurist is the magical force that the obscurial, the child, is trying to force away from themselves or trying to disconnect with. But it's impossible to do, especially if you have powerful magic. It can, if you try to tamp it down, it will burst out unexpectedly. And I don't think that kind of comes back to Matilda with her safety valve. Like she's yeah. probably not full on obscurist, obscurial yet. Because she actually has this little safety valve that she's utilizing to let out her anger and frustration. But it's still in a very unhealthy way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what's what's troubling and what's sad is these family flare-ups seem to happen on a weekly basis. I mean, this this chapter happens, I think, a week after the hat, Mr. Wormwood acts up again a week after the parrot Mm -hmm. mr wormwood acts up again this is just it's a cycle it's a cycle it happens at least 52 times a year (laughs) then folks and nobody is learning anything nobody Nobody. is learning anything except matilda is like aria stark learning how to hone those skills (laughs) yep she's escalating blade Mm -hmm. yeah definitely escalating returning to that theme of nothing except ratcheting it up yep that's what it seems to be how to make more Um, crazy more insane punishments yeah and so speaking of ratcheting it up i think this is a fantastic time to now pivot to how Mr. Wormwood flounces into <laughs> He is a champion flouncer. <laughs> champion flouncer. So Matilda has been thinking about her revenge, whether or not it's working. We would argue, no, it's not, sweetheart. You're you're just trying to almost mentally feel better about yourself. Yes. Um psychological it, warfare. Yeah, totally psychological justification. Mm -hmm. And as Matilda is justifying her revenge, quote, in came Mr. Wormwood in a loud check suit and a (laughs) yellow tie. Nice. Mm -hmm. The appalling broad orange and green check 
of the jacket and trousers almost blinded the onlooker. Look at him flounce. <laughs> he looked like a low-grade bookmaker dressed up for his daughter's wedding. That's just and rude. He was clearly... <laughs> yeah, that's rude, okay? <laughs> Bookmakers deserve to have fun at their daughter's <laughs> weddings, too. And he was clearly very pleased with himself that evening. First of all, I want to talk about bookmaker. Yeah. But second of all... Mr. Wormwood has definitely been to the Wizarding World with his <laughs> wife, and he knows how to dress to impress. No one can say that this man who has so many flaws does not <laughs> want to show off his attire. Yes, he does. He wants people to see him. Yes. So let's see. A bookmaker... I love that Doll chose bookmaker because me, like being a total book fetish lover, yes. I'm like, oh, someone who books. he makes books <laughs> yes. exactly like as like as a kid, we think ah, this word means what it says. Yes. Obviously, it means someone who makes books. Mm -hmm. Nerd alert! Uh uh. <laughs> Colleen, what does bookmaker mean? A bookmaker, which you can shorten to bookie which some adults might know that word. It's a person who takes bets, especially on horse races. They calculate odds and they pay out winnings. And they're usually seen as nefarious people. Not nice people to be hanging around. Not nice people. And so this idea of criminality really dovetails probably for the adult readers more than the child. It's almost like what I think people in the Hollywood biz call, <laughs> like subplot A and subplot B. We've yes. got subplot A, Matilda, this pioneering genius renaissance child when it comes to her intellect. And for for listeners to know, Colleen's kitty right now is sniffing on the mic. And <laughs> he it's is. Perfect. He's, he's being really obnoxious right now. <laughs> he's being perfect. Um, everything's perfect about this. I wish you could see it. And subplot B is this dark, seedy underworld of the Wormwoods yes. who are placing bets, mm -hmm. who are stealing cars, who are doing criminal underworld bad, bad badness. And Mr. Wormwood is flouncing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He he's showing up. not... He is not hiding it. He's got feathers in his cap. Mm -hmm. His wife's like, please stop gluing feathers in your hat. Stop showing off. But this man is proud of his gorgeous locks that had to be shaved. And he's got to wear his best, worst <laughs> outfit out. It's yep. great. I love him. Mm -hmm. I love him for it. Fudge and him would totally go Oh my gosh, together. yes. Get him a lime green bowler and he's set. And so, um, so I suppose... Shattering this moment of introspection for Matilda, Matilda's father bursts back into the narrative in a loud wizarding wardrobe level outfit and brags about his successful day, lying about the quality of his secondhand cars. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yep. Interestingly, we see what an actually good, if not horribly misguided teacher Mr. Wormwood is for his son, because I want us to pivot towards this pivotal, pivotal math lesson. The title of this chapter, Arithmetic, inviting him, that is Mr. Wormwood, Harry Wormwood, invites his son Michael, but expressly doesn't invite Matilda to learn about how he dubs customers and how much money and 
how much money and success mm-hmm. this kind of deception earns him and the family. Yep. Fantastically and fascinatingly, he's, sn- he's slow and patient for his son, who seemingly, like him, seems to struggle performing addition and subtraction and is required to calculate um, how much was earned from the f- sale of five cars, whereas Matilda... It's easy breezy, lemon squeezy. She loves a little math. So let's see. Colleen, do you want to give us a little bit more of kind of your summary of what this math lesson was like before we dive into the specific quotes further? Yes. Okay. So here we go. I hate math. Let's just start with that. I was an English major and I'm a writer, so I'm not good at math either, Mr. Wormwood. I feel bad for you too. <laughs> okay, so the things I took from this chapter were Michael's behavior towards his father. He writes carefully, but not quickly, so he's not super smart, but he's eager to learn. So he wants yep. to learn these things from his father, which is really sweet. Poor little Michael. I wish we got it's more so Michael. It's so important. It's wonderful. It's so important. And Mr. Wormwood loves showing off for him. Like, he wants to show off for Michael and show that he's a great dad because he pulls these, he tricks all of his customers so he can make money for the family, which is like, yay, you're making money for the family, but you're also teaching him some horrible habits. Well, so let's try and get away from that. And then, of course, I took from it once Matilda answers the math question correctly and quickly, her father calls her a liar and a cheat because he can't get it into his head that a girl could do this and we come back to that theme of the girl again like matilda is supposed to have this place in society where she's not good at math and science and especially should not be better at it than someone who's older and her father yep and i and i wonder about the jealousy because even even remove the potential or likely sexism that existed at this time which makes it more understandable though not any less forgivable if that makes sense for that to happen from mm-hmm. Mr. Wormwood yep. it's it's a way of understanding the rationalization even if we even if there's no justification mm-hmm. it does the not idea, compute for him yeah i i i wonder if stepping away from all of that if it's just a pure jealousy thing mm-hmm. that he truly can't conceptualize how easy it could be for someone else. Right. And it might simply be that he doesn't want to believe that someone else can do something that Mm -hmm. he wishes he could do. Especially in front of his son, because she pretty much shows him up in front of his son. Yes. And so, Michael, there's this kind of trope of the obedient son. Mm -hmm. And... And Michael is just so sweet. He obediently leaves the room, returns with writing materials, mm-hmm. and he, he's sadly reduced to almost an archetype. And one of the reasons why we wanted to give him an early shout out in a character study, because this boy deserves it. Yes. He he struggles, like Colleen says, but what's beautiful about him and what I think highlights the bravery of his Gryffindorness is... When he doesn't know something, he is not afraid to ask. Nope. He asks his dad to slow down, says that he needs yep. more time. Yep. And 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 I think it is in some ways is it's kind of like the nature versus nurture is that 
purely Michael's nature. And he would ask regardless Mm -hmm. if his father weren't as patient with him or hopefully more likely when you create a safe learning environment and it's, and it's possible to do students can learn so much more if they're mm-hmm. given time to repeat. I think it's something like it takes seven times of repetition yes. to learn something. Yep. So I, so I guess listeners listen to each episode seven times. If you really <laughs> seven is one thing magical number. In. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think what dad is doing right is he's a patient teacher who repeats for slow learners. Yes. He works with his, It feels weird. Yeah, it does. It's such a dichotomy. It feels weird. Yeah, but like, let's let's look at what Mr. Wormwood is doing right. He confirms with his son when he accurately records a specific number before moving on. Positive reinforcement. Yes. Each time he makes sure to confirm with his son. Do you got it? Mm -hmm. Do you got those numbers, son? Like, are you with me? Come along. (laughs) We're on an adventure together. It's a math adventure. (laughs) Even if the morals in the lesson are so disgustingly, mm. tragically flawed, mm-hmm. structurally thinking, structurally speaking, Mr. Wormwood's doing it. I'll give him right. credit right now. Yep. He is doing it right with his son. Mm-hmm. And what I also like is he provides extra detail to his son about why something is particularly hard or particularly profitable. Yes. In essence, the father is doubling down on the lesson to his son by going beyond just the numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, and what's cute is there's this give and take between the father and son, teacher and student, where the son says, you're brilliant, dad. He's so sweet. You're brilliant, dad. And... And when does Mr. Wormwood get to hear that? Never. He doesn't hear it from Matilda. Or his wife. <laughs> or his wife. And so, like, before before we take a moment, like, let's RIP to Mr. <laughs> Wormwood's morals. Yeah. Because when he's teaching this lesson, it is only to Michael. Yes. Quote, seeing as you'll be going into this business with me one day, you've got to know how to add up the profits mm-hmm. you make at the end of each day. Yes. Bro, you're assuming a lot of things. <laughs> one, your son wants to be involved in this criminal enterprise. Like, yo, don't push him towards it. Two, his son would be okay with engaging in criminal activity. Mm-hmm. From what little we know of Michael, Colleen, do you think that's... Do you think that's likely? I don't. I especially once you read through the whole book and you get to the end, it's like Michael is he's not meek per se, but he seems more sensitive. Yeah. And I think he's kind of saying things his father wants to hear. Like he's kind of yes. getting by by saying he he does I think believe that his dad is very clever, but he's also kind of like I know what you're doing is wrong though, dad. <laughs> yep. So I think now is a good place to also talk about why Mr. Wormwood, a a little bit further into possible rationale for why he pushes back at Matilda. And I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. there's this really interesting headcanon to kind of pivot to Harry Potter for a second. One of the reasons why Arthur Weasley, you know, the head head family man, Mm -hmm. has a problem pronouncing muggle words like 
uh, electricity. (laughs) Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Is maybe he's dyslexic. Mm. And I loved, I loved that idea that, that either one, he might be dyslexic. So, so sometimes, uh, letters flip, get moved around, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. That's one cute little he- headcanon. Another cute headcanon is just Arthur knows how rough Harry's life is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're whimsical and silly when we pronounce things to kids. Yes. Just to make things whimsical and silly. Yes, to make them smile. <laughs> yeah. So, like, let's not... There's there's nothing wrong if Mr. if Mr. Weasley is wrong when he pronounces things. But if he is, there are two possible headcanon reasons why for that's A-OK. To pivot to to Mr. Wormwood now, I wonder if he has some sort of number flipping problem. Mm, Yes. And it's there is a I don't remember what it's called. Let me look that up. While you keep going, I'll look up my note on that. <laughs> I I wonder if there's some sort of learning disability or his parents weren't involved, whether they chose not to be involved or weren't able to be involved to teach Mr. Wormwood well when he was younger. And so perhaps mm-hmm. he was a, a neglected child or didn't get what he educationally needed in order to learn well. Did you Did you find it, Colleen? I found it. It's called dyscalculia. So calculus, calculi. That is basically like dyslexia. You mix up numbers when they're on a page. So you have trouble reading them or figuring out what the numbers are. There you go. And so that's a little vocab moment. And so why why is this possibly supported in the text? Because it takes him so long. Yeah, and how long is it? He goes, it ta- it took me less than 10 minutes to work mm-hmm. the whole thing out. Right. It should not take 10 minutes for an adult to add up five car numbers. No, no. I would say that that would be below average. Yeah. So this is something that Mr. Wormwood has completely mentally justified because mm-hmm. he doubles down in that and yep. explaining to his son, like, this is totally normal. That's totally mm-hmm. okay. And, you know, maybe I'm mulling this out loud. I don't know. Thinking about Arthur Weasley, maybe he knows his son is just that Not very good at numbers slow. Either. Yeah. So yep. honestly, maybe this is another teachable moment where my biases were being projected onto Mr. Wormwood thinking maybe he's struggling mm-hmm. this whole time and he's just trying to help Michael. We don't know. We don't Roald know. Dahl's not around to, nope. to answer this for us. <laughs> He'd probably think we were silly, but... I like to at least try and see some good. Yeah, some, yeah. and But, like, let's be clear. Either way, five car numbers shouldn't take mm-hmm. shouldn't take that long to add up. There's nothing wrong to do it with pen and paper like Mr. Wormwood and Michael need to do. But does Matilda need that? She does not. She's a prodigy. She is a prodigy. And her father seems to stiffen and becomes very mm-hmm. quiet. And there was this silence, this like Walter Mm. White, Mm -hmm. deathly, you know, you're in trouble because nothing is being said kind of silence where he asks her to repeat herself before his face turns Vernon Mm. Dursley dark red. The volcano is about to erupt. The 
book illustration here is interesting because once again, we see family members separated from one another on different pages. Mm-hmm. Um, illustrating this, this was kind of like in chapter four with the ghost. Here we see Mr. Wormwood sitting with Michael. Harry has a darkened face, bunched up paper in his fist, and is pointing his right hand finger towards Matilda, who's sitting on a completely other page mm-hmm. while by herself. he sits by herself. <laughs> And it's just, it's it's this visual and auditory and mental, it's this total imagery of Matilda all alone with the father and son together. Mm-hmm. What else am I missing, Colleen? Because I've been talking for a while. Hit us <laughs> no up. worries. Yeah, I can hop in here. I agree with you completely that her father is trying to gaslight her in this situation when he calls her a cheat and a liar. He's already told Michael that it's impossible for anyone to figure this out in their head, which could be him just trying to be nice to Michael, but also probably self-justifying his own inability to do this. And so when Matilda turns it back on him and basically says that, no, you're wrong, Dad, I'm actually really smart and I can do this in my head instantly. First, it makes him pause because he's like, wait a minute, there's no way anybody could do this. And then coming back and seeing that this young girl who he obviously doesn't see himself in at all like he said he's like no nobody can do this you're a girl no this is impossible calls her a cheat says that she obviously looked at the paper before but she's on the opposite side of the page she's far away from them and i'm sure michael knows this too so i can kind of picture michael kind of fading away from the argument already kind of sitting back in the chair on the couch, just trying to maybe slither away from the moment because he knows that the father is going to explode at this point. And also I love the point where you said in your notes that he's gaslighting Matilda, just like he gaslights his customers. He's trying to not using the same technique, but also he sees this in himself. He is a cheat. He is a liar. And he's projecting that onto his poor little daughter. Like what? What is happening here? It's insanity. And I I wonder, this this is a little headcanon that I haven't dropped on you mm. yet. I Ooh, I'm excited. don't think. Yeah. So let me just say, everyone in the Wormwood household, except for pure, sweet, innocent Michael, may be liars and cheats. Mm-hmm. I wonder... If, drumroll, <laughs> Matilda is actually his daughter. Ooh. Oh, no. That would explain so much. Age difference. She's nothing like him. Oh, oh the poor thing. Oh, God. <laughs> this brings in Roald Dahl a little bit, too, since he had history of affairs and such. But, oh, my. Ooh. Mr. Wormwood Uh, screams out at Matilda, quote unquote, his daughter, who was able to do math in ways his son and he are unable to do, Mm -hmm. quote, no one in the world could give the right answer just like that, especially a girl. You're a liar and a cheat, madame. That's what you are, a liar and a cheat. Once the mother comes in and asks her husband why he's so red in the face, he says, quote, 
your, mm. your daughter, not our daughter, your <laughs> daughter's a liar and a cheat. Turn on the telly and let's not have any more talk. Ooh, he pivots away after he says your daughter. Maybe the mother gave him a visual cue as like, shut your face. <laughs> shut your face. We're escaping into the television. That's mm -hmm. the only time we're together is when we're escaping. Mm-hmm. From the truth. From oh. the truth. So let's do a little musical cue mm -hmm. as we now enter the world of Mrs. No First Name Wormwood mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. character study on who she is as a mother, who she is as a wife, who she is as a character, as mm -hmm. well as a few little headcanon theories of how she's spending her time each Monday through Friday. Love it. So now we begin our detailed dorky dive character study into Mrs. Wormwood. And I wanted to start out with a little synopsis from our writer, Flo, who we're going to be hearing from soon, and I'm really excited to have her on live. She writes, quote, Mrs. Wormwood, looking back, probably wanted a different life, one more exciting and free of the strings that tethered her to her ghastly husband. Perhaps she had to let go of her dreams too early and found escapism in bingo. In Matilda, the musical, the opening number is about Mrs. Wormwood not wanting to have a second child, as mm. she is giving birth to Matilda. Oof. Oh, Tra God. Trapped in a world with little education and few opportunities, Mrs. Wormwood deserves some of our sympathy. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the abuse that Matilda suffers at the hands of her parents and Miss Trunchbull is absolutely unfathomable to me. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine a world in which I don't read bedtime stories to my two-year-old Charlotte or snuggle her, even as we watch TV with the aforementioned snacks. It boggles the mind that the Wormwoods not would not feel extreme pride in their prodigious daughter, as I feel in my less magical but equally amazing one. Oh, And I think, I think that's a beautiful, bitter, sweet way to kick off... Yes. The troubling, sad nature of Mrs. Wormwood as we work through this and explore kind of the quote unquote normalcy of her to the potential magic of mm -hmm. her. And frankly, the inherent magic and darkness of doll that we see through Mrs. Wormwood. So now that we have Flo's summary, how about you take it away, Colleen? Excellent. All right. I'm going to start with her wifely duties. In these chapters, we saw, we see her mealtime prep. She makes her husband the breakfast, and it's always the same thing. Two fried eggs on fried bread with three pork sausages and three strips of bacon and fried tomatoes. This is kind of like a full English breakfast, so it's not yeah. quite as unusual. But to have it every day is a little bit odd, especially with all of that fried food. That's yeah. a ton of fried food. But then we're told he's pencil thin. So what is going on here? Is he eating everything? Does he just have a really high metabolism? 
is she trying to kill him? Is she trying right. to give him a heart attack? Right. I I don't know, but I love this note here that Dudley, pre-dementor, would love breakfast here. Yes, he would. Oh, yes, he would. He I'm pretty sure this would. is what Petunia would be making for Dudley before he goes on his diet. I was just going to add that she also calls her husband Treasure here. Like she calls him a pet name. Yeah. It's, they seem completely different completely from morning into different. afternoon. So strange. And we have to wonder, and we're getting into this in this character study, what might be happening to each of them throughout their days that in the morning, it seems to be a very picturesque, okay, family mm-hmm. thing. Like, let's ignore mm-hmm. how they talk to Matilda, because that's just yes. toxic language, okay? Yes, yes. But the picture of it is... As if they're trying at normalcy. Yes, completely. Like, we're all gathered around the table. We're fine. And it's the the trope, the understood trope at that time and what gets pushed back against these days, the idea that the wife makes these big elaborate meals even at Mm -hmm. breakfast. It's like she takes time here in the morning, but then she brings home TV dinners and fish and chips in the evening because now she's exhausted. Yes. And and when it comes to the pet names, again, we see it in the morning and I'm not sure, barring maybe the parent-teacher conference that happens halfway through the book, this idea of her calling Mr. Wormwood a pet name or something adoring is really interesting since we see several times that she is not attracted to her husband. No, not a little. All. No. Do you want to do you want to hit us with that quote about um, the husband skulking around? Yes, Colleen? I love this quote. It's great. Okay. All right. Quote. And later on, as she watched her skinny little husband skulking around in the bedroom in his purple striped pajamas with a pork pie hat on his head, she thought how stupid he looked. Hardly the kind of man a wife dreams about, she told herself. Yikes. 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 And I this was this was from the hat and the super glue quote mm-hmm. uh section. Mm-hmm. But there but we see we see she does not want to be physically affectionate with her husband at all. No. And that has to wear on both mm-hmm. of them. And makes me wonder get- if they have separate beds, like the fifties style little twin beds or one big bed point. <laughs> like so they the push the beds apart yes yes oh yeah <laughs> that makes yeah. me think that they do because she doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with him but they are still in the same bedroom no and that's that's actually brilliant in light of this following quote quote there are many things that make a man irritable when he arrives home from work in the evening and a sensible wife yikes Mm. will usually notice the storm signals and will leave him alone until he simmers down yeah Mm. (laughs) lot to unpack there (laughs) lot to unpack there like let me be clear my husband who i adore Mm -hmm. my nickname for him is bear for several reasons (laughs) one of them is that he can't be sometimes if he mm-hmm. hasn't had a snack after work mm-hmm. or he needs some time to decompress of so course. once again like let's not gaslight the gaslighter mr right. wormwood like mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe he needs a beat yeah having he needs a snickers yeah he needs a snickers 
And he's been slaving away. He's like a mid-tier criminal dude. So you know <laughs> he's getting pressure yeah, from people from somebody. Up top, from yeah. somebody. Yeah. And he knows that he knows that his wife is out playing quote unquote bingo. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's <laughs> gotta hurt to the pride, especially if she's more proficient at bingo than right. he is in all of its different variations, which we're going to get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm getting excited for that, before we pivot, <laughs> why don't why don't we finish up on the motherly duties to the extent we haven't covered mm-hmm. them, Colleen? Um, All right. Yes. Coming back to Flo's statement about her not wanting a second child, I don't think she wanted a first child. Right. Um, oh, it's just terrible. I think I think one of the things that is important for us to preface bef- as we start getting into the this bingo theory that we're getting into repeatedly we see the wife who we highlight each time because it seems a crime every time never gets a first bloody name mm-hmm. not and once that says something roll doll like i am side eyeing you for that mm-hmm. forever and ever sir yep. Yep. um this fact that in this book repeatedly the 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 blood mother if you will since miss honey could it mm-hmm. soon becomes a surrogate mother of sorts spoiler alert her, <laughs> her her maternal mother repeatedly tells her daughter young girls are to be seen and not heard mm-hmm. there there are some things that mrs wormwood has picked up in her life that have taught her for better or for worse or that she just has internalized of her own choice that that women are to be pretty figureheads mm-hmm. in a household. They don't need to worry about numbers or math. And your role as a woman is to not concern yourself with books. It's yeah. to watch TV, be at home, and to be present. And am I missing anything in that horrible, <laughs> horrible lesson, Kali? <laughs> Definitely not. She... Even though she does say that girls should be seen and not heard, she also doesn't care what Matilda does. Yes. Like, she doesn't care what she does all day. She leaves her home, has no idea. She's just trekking to the library by herself. And she doesn't care, really, until Matilda tries to step into her territory or asks her an annoying question. Yeah. It's the only time she really acknowledges that Matilda's even there. I'm going to do a headcanon that has no basis at all in Doll's narrative so that we can all feel better about ourselves. <laughs> yes. Um, my little headcanon is that Mrs. Wormwood is doing the very best she can. We're going to talk about what she's doing with Bingo. Assuming Will's theory. I can't wait to have Will <laughs> yes. back. Mm-hmm. He, oh, y'all. His theory is great. Back. He's back. And... If Will's theory is correct, my headcanon is that Mrs. Wormwood has paid like one of her family's thug goonies to follow around her daughter to make sure that she crosses the street properly. And she (laughs) does know Mm -hmm. when she's gone to Miss Honey, like she's got someone tailing her. That's my headcanon. I like it. Crime boss. Crime boss Mrs. Wormwood. Crime boss woman. That's, Mm -hmm. That's another thing. She is so concerned about her looks, but... I am a weirdo, and last night I flipped <laughs> through all of the pages and I double-checked. Mrs. Wormwood's outfit does not change once. Oof. Not once. And, like, 
let's be clear in cartoons that happens a lot because mm-hmm. it's easier for the illustrator so there are very reasonable real world reasons why her outfit wouldn't have changed but matilda's changes slightly in color Mm -hmm. michael's changes slightly in color and yada yada and we know harry wormwood is changing outfits daily yep he's a drama queen gotta have outfit for every mood yeah and it's really interesting that a woman so concerned about her looks like she is lost out she's got mm-hmm. her hoop earrings she's got <laughs> legitimately i'll try and find a page colleen when when you're hitting us with something really awesome and narrate mm-hmm. for a bit because like there's one or two pages where you see mrs wormwood's wedding ring and mm. that thing is flossy mm. like how did like, harry afford that <laughs> bingo and she's got these pearl necklaces like she is always looking good always looking good but it's always the same outfit it's almost like it's her work uniform and i would Mm -hmm. argue and we Mm -hmm. would argue that it is for for being a woman who keeps telling her daughter do not worry about your education Mm -hmm. including as kind of a spoiler alert for when we finally get to meet miss honey and have miss honey in the house it's important to note that when that happens, what we learn about Mrs. Wormwood is that maybe there's some kind of jealousy going on there, or mm-hmm. maybe there's sort of mental justification. Because if she's playing bingo <laughs> all this time, I have to wonder what kind of skills she's got, statistically speaking. And right. she. She is she a stats wizard? Skills for this, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think I'll try and snip it mm-hmm. in the audio. But for those of you who have a copy of Matilda, check out page twenty six, where Mrs. Wormwood is by herself, absorbed in her TV, as the two children and her husband are on a completely separate page eating mm-hmm. their TV dinners. Mm-hmm. Her ring <laughs> is. Almost as big as her hand. I'm not even kidding. Can can you mm-hmm. see it, Colleen? Let me see. I remember looking at it and I said, yeah, oh my, it's enormous. That's huge. And she's got those puff sleeves. She is looking good. Yeah, like that is a no joke ring. Oof. I don't care about sizes of rings, y'all. Yeah. But, That's but there's no way no one doesn't see that. No. That's a lot of double negatives for a whole lot of positive <laughs> on that hand. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and there's if she is what we think she is, she probably paid for it herself. That's true. So let's talk about my little pet head canon theory that Mrs. Wormwood is having an affair. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, listeners, <laughs> sometimes marriages aren't happy. No. And I will not condone or condemn anything. We're only talking about what the text says. Yes. And, and it's a fictional character. And it's a fictional character. So there's a little bit of tongue in cheek that's going to happen here mm-hmm. um, because the word titillating is hilarious. And yes. this is... This is a little <laughs> bit titillating. Yep. I believe that Mrs. Wormwood is possibly having an affair. Do you believe Mrs. Wormwood is possibly having an affair? I think 
preliminary conclusions would say. Yes. I know okay. Will's Will's going to get into another option later. Yes. Once we d- dive even deeper into this bingo session. But from what I've been rereading as an adult, all of the signs point to yes, she's at least up to something. And, and what... the family doesn't talk about it. They just say she's going to bingo. That's it. Yeah. So let's be clear. Monday through Friday, she is mm-hmm. always at bingo. Whatever always. bingo is, she is always at it. And the family mm-hmm. knows it. And it's eight miles away. That's pretty yeah. exact. Like they know where she's going also. Is it a bingo hall? Or at least they know it's eight miles away. Yeah. Is it a bingo hall? What we know is, quote, Mrs. Wormwood was hooked on bingo and played it five afternoons Mm -hmm. a week. Afternoon delight. (laughs) Quote, in this chapter, um, arithmetic, quote, the mother came came in carrying a large tray on which there were four suppers. This time it was fish and chips, which Mrs. Wormwood had picked up in the fish and chip shop on Mm -hmm. her way home from bingo. It seemed that bingo afternoons left her so exhausted, both physically (laughs) and emotionally, that she never had enough energy left to cook an evening meal. So if it wasn't TV dinners, it had to Mm -hmm. be fish and chips. And if she's bringing them from the shop, they are probably super greasy and not very warm when she gets home, if she's eight miles away. One has to wonder, Mm -hmm. I've played bingo, and I've never been both physically and emotionally (laughs) exhausted from it. I really think that these are little cues by Roald Dahl that there could Mm -hmm. be an affair. To not be with the person or life she actually loves or lusts after, she escapes in the TV, she goes play bingo Mm -hmm. eight miles away. And she's there all day. And she is there all day. And when she's not there, she's watching Mm -hmm. these soap opera fantasies where people are engaged in love and lust and adventure. I've I've been to the doctor's (laughs) office and I've maybe watched a soap opera too. Yeah, they're pretty lusty Mm -hmm. escapism things. And I think that's what she's craving. Now, if she's had an affair, could her infidelity be why Matilda Mm -hmm. now exists and one of the reasons why Mr. Wormwood is so disgustingly cruel to Mm. Matilda. Yes. Hello, Catelyn Stark, Uh, looking at you, girl. How -hmm. Jon Snow? Uh, How's he doing? How's the Lord of Winterfell? It's just not good. How's, like, think about some of our classic, what I'm considering classic Mm -hmm. great literature and like great family dynamic quote unquote mm-hmm. problems. Secrets. Secrets and it lies. Reminds, yes, secret secrets. It reminds me a lot of Tywin Lannister and the for any of you Game of Thrones folks who not only get the Catelyn Stark reference, but maybe mm-hmm. the Tywin Lannister is Tyrion his mm-hmm. actual son, the idea of Mr. Wormwood living in a house with a woman who is physically yes. repulsed by him, a daughter nothing like who, him. who isn't actually mm-hmm. his, that he still provides for, at least from an economic standpoint, certainly not mm-hmm. an emotional standpoint. And he is, imagine how such an insecure man would have to feel already to be outwitted by 
by someone he doesn't have allegiance to that is far outstripping him and his mm-hmm. son. It reminds me so much of Catelyn Stark. It's not even funny. Yeah, because Jon Snow is much better at schoolwork sums and I think fighting as well than Rob, who is her actual blood son. And definite parallels there. There is something rotten. There's something wormwood <laughs> in the wormwood mm-hmm. household here. And it's this secret mm-hmm. that everyone, I bet, I mean, this jumps ahead to when Miss Honey tells Matilda at the very end of the book, like, we kind of all knew your parents were, were going to get busted. We're, yeah, we knew they were bad news. The community probably knows. I mean, if Mrs. Yes. Wormwood is out playing weekly bingo, it is mm-hmm. visually apparent what is happening, I would think. Yes. Um, Whether it's a fair or if she's a crime boss. And that kind of makes me wonder, is Mr. Wormwood the one that's going down at the end of the book? Yes. Or is it Mrs. Wormwood that has been found out? Yes. Because he, I mean, she might make him believe it's him. The mother might be like, we need to get out of town because someone has discovered your car scheme and we have to leave now. Like, have they? Yeah. (laughs) So I think this is a fantastic little segue because I want us to respond to this, but let me do a quick little little inception within an inception. We're doing a detailed dorky mm-hmm. dive within a detailed dorky dive. Will <laughs> yeah, it. Will is coming on. Um, he was finally able to record a little bit. He came on to introduce if it's not an affair named Bingo, why it actually being Bingo could be problematic so mm-hmm. will from across the ether my man <laughs> welcome back Yay! take it away and teach us all about what bingo actually means here so let's talk about mrs wormwood and bingo and I'm not talking about the salacious wink-wink, nudge-nudge bingo Sarah might be talking about later, but actually the game of bingo. Now, a lot of our American listeners and listeners all over the world, if you all are out there, might think of bingo as something that they play in old folks' homes and nothing else. But actually, history shows that that wasn't really the case. At its height in Britain, and bingo had a height in Britain, believe me, there were depending on the source, uh, somewhere between 800 and 2,000 sites that you could play bingo in the UK. That's a lot. It's a lot of places to play bingo. Why was that? So the history is that uh, before 1960, bingo was in fact illegal. That's right. If you were uh, the purveyor or operator of a bingo parlor uh, in the 1950s, which there were these local operations, you could have been arrested for breaking the law for running an illegal gambling operation um, or an illegal lottery. It wasn't until 1960 or 1961 that the UK made bingo and other uh, games of chance and gambling legal. This actually, this legalization, actually spurred a huge boom in the rise of bingo parlors. These bingo parlors replaced theaters that had been used for cinemas and variety shows. Now, interestingly enough, and this might be something Dahl was thinking about, the theaters had gone in decline in the 50s with the cinemas and the variety shows because people stopped going to them. Why did they stop going to them? This thing called television. And so, with these 
this television spurred decline in theaters suddenly in the 1960s you got bingo parlors and these were glamorous bingo parlors they were exciting places to be you got to remember working class england in the 60s was maybe not the happiest thing there were low wages there was still the effects of rationing that carried over from from world war ii not very pleasant and so if you could go to one of these places and and while the time away uh and maybe win some money while at it a little bit of pocket change or even some more that was pretty cool and bingo callers would actually really get into it it's very british but they would make up the slang for numbers um, like they would say jump and jive instead of the number 35 more modern bingo callers even made reference to tony blair they would say tony's den instead of number 10. See, they rhyme, just like jump and jive in 35. And so we kind of we kind of have to keep this in mind too. Bingo really might have just been bingo, but also it could have been a little more. Yeah, it could have been Mrs. Wormwood getting into this uh, this big rush of bingo in the 1960s and using it to uh, put a little spice in her dreary life. But it also could have been a little more than that, because like I said, before 1961, bingo was illegal. So if we're thinking about bingo being this illegal gambling operation that, you know, cops didn't necessarily crack down at, down on it. It was seen as potentially something that they didn't want to crack down on. You know, this made thing this made people happy, but at the same time, it was nevertheless illegal. It was underground. And so there would have been gambling sites all, all over England that would have been operated by various people under the table, uh, underground, and Mrs. Wormwood could have been one of them. Whether as an operator or in some other capacity, we don't know. But that sure is interesting to think about, isn't it? Because thinking about it, Mrs. Wormwood going five times a week to a bingo parlor, all dressed up, and coming back at in the evening emotionally and physically tired, it makes you wonder. She might have actually been working. So if that's the case, she might have actually been working illegally in a bingo parlor and bringing home illegal income, just like Mr. Wormwood was defrauding people by selling used cars. I'd have never seen this any this raised anywhere else before, but since we don't really know when this book takes takes place, and we've and and we'll actually engage in some speculation uh, more deeply on a at a different time, we have to uh, at least say that it is plausible that both. Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood were engaged in these criminal operations, and if they were, come on, what are the chances that they were separate? It must have been part of a crime syndicate. Maybe not the Wormwood's crime syndicate. They probably weren't the, uh, the highest people within that criminal syndicate. But let's think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? So I never thought that I would be talking about the history of illegal gambling in early 20th century England, but here we are, and specifically the history of illegal bingo. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but uh, but this is all very well-documented stuff. Before before the 1930s, uh, it, it, it was there, um, but actually there was um, a certain betting and lotteries act in the 1930s that was intended to help charities that opened up a loophole that, uh, that really allowed forays, profitable forays, into the world of illegal commercial bingo. And this is basically like the, the nerdiest version of Peaky Blinders is what I'm imagining, right? 
because it's very similar. Uh, again, from one of the articles that I found, the quote is, significant numbers from poor social groups regularly risked small amounts of money gambling and even budgeted for this expenditure in the hope of a life-changing win. During the period of 1906 to 1961, significant numbers of the working class made a living from providing the means to gamble. And so in this nerdy, geeky, peaky blinders wannabe uh, world, Mrs. Wormwood could have been well, could well have been part of this working class element who was providing uh, an illegal means of gambling and playing bingo. They were there in very large numbers, and she could have been very successful at it, uh, especially if we consider that she was engaged in a illegal gambling enterprise. Her husband uh, was engaged in illegally defrauding people and selling secondhand cars, and they may have been in cahoots with a larger criminal enterprise, maybe with a even nerdier, less villainous Moriarty somewhere up there. Who knows? All fun to speculate about. But so in addition to Mrs. Wormwood going to play bingo, and bingo being a euphemism for carnal acts, we also have the potential that bingo was really bingo, but it was just illegal bingo. Black market bingo, if you will. And that's kind of cool. Wow. So, Will, you say you've been out of the game for a really long time, but that was some really slick research. I love it. Yes, yes, yes. This is so fantastic. Not only does it Oh, I just reading all of it. I love research. That's like the one Ravenclaw part of me you're going to get. I'd love studying and research. So this was just like lighting up my brain in all kinds of different places, especially since it helps us establish more timeline. We kind of know if this is true, if she is this bingo hall running crime boss, that it would be somewhere in the 1960s. When, yes, television is rising, computers would be around since Mr. Wormwood referenced a computer, but there's still kind of these alien things that people are into. But then, like, all these theaters with the gambling venues? That's crazy. And I love, I love the idea so, uh. of her being the flashy front runner, going to the yes. bingo hall where people have a gambling thing they're trying to recoup from World War II. Mm-hmm. People people mm-hmm. are trying to get rich quick. That certainly doesn't happen nope. anymore. Thank goodness times <laughs> right? have changed. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. love the idea of her catfishing people with her big yes. fancy jewelry. Yes. These bingo halls. Duncan. Being like, you know, my, you know, here's your, oh, yes. People put up their cars <laughs> for winning. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yep. That is That's fantastic. Is. I love everything about it. And he's the side hustler, yes. which makes his bravado even more apparent in the home because he's trying to show the kids that, no, he's the one that's actually and doing it. Patsy. And he's the patsy. Oh, yeah. snap. I can totally see Mrs. Wormwood taking Michael and ditching Mr. Wormwood at the end of this book. Y'all, let me hold on, hold on. You want to? We just wrote you another. You want to know? You want to know why Mrs. Wormwood doesn't have a first name? Cause she's smart, y'all. She is yep. on mm-hmm. the run from the jump. Oh my god, I love it. This is like her witness yes. protection husband. You know what? Scratch the record. 
Roldal isn't sexist. Hashtag totally no, sarcastic. He's a genius. Um, he's a total <laughs> genius. This is actually the mm-hmm. story of Mrs. Wormwood, the mobster. Mm-hmm. She, yes. Oh my god, yes, I love it. Yes. It's you know what, y'all? It's Mrs. Wormwood who has been breaking bad all along. Mm-hmm. She's she's the one you know who knocks. And, and you know what? <laughs> We're Mrs. Wormwood, y'all. She can have it both ways. Bingo yep. is an affair. Yep. And Bingo is the name yep. cuz she's also she is hustling all kind of games, y'all. Let's not be choosy. She is. Uh, she drops that quote to Matilda yes. that men aren't as clever as they think they are. That's a, a clue for us to know that Matilda's mom is with it. You know, you know what? I completely changed. I've I've completely <laughs> changed the game. Mrs. Wormwood is Olena Tyrell. She doesn't mm. even need a first name. Queen of Thorns. Queen of Thorns. Mm-hmm. She is running this household like a bloody boss. She is too busy to cook mm-hmm. meals. Yep. She's like, here's breakfast. I'm yeah. good now for the rest yeah. of the day. And you know what? That's really interesting. She's teaching her daughter. Maybe she's teaching her daughter, be quiet, listen, Viserys. Mm-hmm. Secrets are more important. Yes. Use your ears, girl. Yep. Less of your mouth. Yep. And they won't suspect a girl. And they won't suspect a girl. <laughs> like, because that's, that's my thing. That's my problem with this chapter and walking through it. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, this, this is what grinds my gears about humankind in general. <laughs> and why I get mad at my own hypocrisies. Okay, so like, podcast <laughs> host calling herself mm-hmm. out on it. <laughs> but the idea of her telling her daughter repeatedly, like, shut up, girl. No one wants to hear you. Be mm-hmm. seen. Not heard. Girls can't do math. Mm-hmm. Y'all, yep. someone's got to be crunching numbers in the household. And yep. we all know it mm-hmm. ain't the mister. It is not it Harry is Wormwood. Not Harry he Wormwood. is not. And it is not Michael. And it is not Michael. <laughs> and Mrs. Wormwood, you know, you know, Mrs. Wormwood, touche. Mm-hmm. Too, yep. good for you girl Mrs. Wormwood you got us <laughs> get it you got us all girl you got us all uh, now I want to see this yeah TV no, show. um mm-hmm. Wormwood y'all she's just Mrs yep. she's Mrs. Boss yep. that's what it is yep <laughs> um and then third of all I want to talk about another possible headcanon if Matilda has all these magical mm-hmm. powers and JKR mm-hmm. yes. has admitted on the record, I believe, or now I've made up a fictitious record where JK <laughs> I yeah, can believe it. Where JKR has has said that Doll's writing has influenced her work. Let's play pretend Mrs. Wormwood is a witch. Yes. Not only a crime boss, but a not witch. Not even a crime boss, but a witch. And you know what? Her husband calls her out on it at least twice directly. I really think she's a witch. Yes. There's potion. Like, mm-hmm. glue is technically a yes. potion, y'all. Mm-hmm. It, it is. is. It, it is a magical liquid substance that us little muggle scientists, a.k.a. witches and wizards, have been able to mm-hmm. transform into a solid curing mm-hmm. thing. But hit, hit us up with the gaslighting the husband about reading instructions and potions and witch yes. making while I try and find the witchy quotes. All right, so Mrs. Wormwood, when she sees her husband, something arguably magical seems to happen. She's carrying his breakfast tray, and when she looks up, she, quote, caught sight of her husband. She stopped dead. 
Then she let out a scream that seemed to lift her right up into the air, and she dropped the plate with a crash. Everyone jumped, including Mr. Wormwood. This, is it seeming to lift her right up into the air, or does she actually levitate a bit yeah. here? One clue that she could possibly be a witch. Yeah. And then also, she gaslights her husband about reading instructions and that you should do it. Because if she is a witch and she's making potions, she knows how important it is to label things correctly and know what you're using. Yeah, so on, on page 30, 33 about the glue, quote, What in heaven's name are you talking about, you stupid witch? <laughs> when Mrs. Wormwood <sighs> is telling him, you should read the label on the tube of my potion before you start mm -hmm. messing around with dangerous products. Always follow the instructions yep. on the label, you little muggle. <laughs> We've talked about yes. this. What are yep. you talking about, mm -hmm. you stupid witch? The same thing I've been talking Oof. about since I dropped the truth. Yep, yep. Love it. Total Seamus Finnegan. Me mam's, mam's a witch. Dad's yep. a muggle. <laughs> My Irish accent is terrible. But yeah, a bit of a nasty shock for Mr. Wormwood when he found out. And and, and uh. I have to think, because I I have envy. I wish that I had mm -hmm. powers. I, I get oh, yeah. it, Mr. Wormwood. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine? I would be so, so jealous with envy <laughs> if my husband, in his dream of dreams, came in the house later today and is like, mm -hmm. honey, I actually <laughs> am a Jedi. First of all, that oh, would make sense. Yeah. And second of all, I would be <laughs> so jealous and upset. I'd be bummed. So bummed. And so imagine Mr. Wormwood finding out after a marriage that his wife mm -hmm. has insane powers beyond his absolute reckoning which he which we already know mm -hmm. is an actual real trigger for him then yes. his wife has an affair mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then it turns out that his daughter is also yeah a witch this yep. this is one of those times where once again you can you can hate me, dear listener, if you choose to. When I look to people like him and Dudley, Vernon Dursley. Vernon Dursley. Like, y'all, yep. let's take a beat. If a demigod walked into your living room, how would you react? <laughs> mm -hmm. Not, Not well. well. How Not would well. you react mm -hmm. if someone could immediately put a, a pig's tail on your body <laughs> And was going through all mm -hmm. of these spiteful hormonal changes. That's what you want? Yes. Because mm -hmm. this, is, this is not a great look. It's That's terrifying. terrifying. No. And so for, for a hot beat, you can understand, even if you may not agree with it, the kind of fight mm -hmm. or flight response that might be happening in Mr. Wormwood, mm -hmm. who, who can't yep. read well, who can't write well, who can't do math well. He finds out... That his all-powerful mobster <laughs> wife, who doesn't love him, like <laughs> first of all, gave him a son who has no power. Yes. If yeah. Yes. Mm. Uh, poor like, Michael. I don't want to. Mm. Like, let's turn the tables for a second because that's one of the things that I like <laughs> doing with Bohemian Geek Studies. Like, we know the stories. Let's mm -hmm. read between the lines. 
Yes. Jumping ahead to the very, mm-hmm. very end. Page 239, it looks like you said. At the end of things, I we kind of assume that everyone's already read Matilda here, but in mm-hmm. case not, like, stop the presses, come back to us yes. later. Um, I'll try and do, like, a little jump Spoiler thing. alert. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much at the end of the day, someone in the family is found out. Yes. As part of this... The parents tell Matilda they're already packing up. So one has to wonder, Mm -hmm. would they have just left if Matilda hadn't arrived home, first of all? Right. Which I think, yes, I think they would have just left. So we have to wonder, why would they give up their daughter? And Mm -hmm. I think it's because Mrs. Wormwood knows they both know the real truth, first of all. And for mm-hmm. better or worse, maybe the father's dead in a <laughs> in a <laughs> mob <laughs> or something. Right. <laughs> we can't be sure what happened to the dad. But mm-hmm. I think this is Mrs. Wormwood's way of trying to get her daughter in the best situation as possible. We're putting on a lot of tinfoil, folks. Come join us. Bathe yes. in the tinfoil. Yes. Drown in the tinfoil with us. <laughs> Mrs. Yes. Wormwood, again, as I said, head canon, actually cares about her daughter, has paid someone to follow mm-hmm. around her little munchkin. Mon- munchkin. Munchkin. <laughs> You're welcome. Her little, munchkin. Her little Dunkin' so Donuts cute. donut that you would bring in mm-hmm. for, for show and tell your birthday. Those little yes. munchkins. Yes. And so my head canon is that they were packing up and Mrs. Wormwood wasn't even going to mention Matilda because Harry Wormwood doesn't care about mm-hmm. Matilda anyway. So so Matilda has run and grabbed Miss Honey and said, oh, my goodness, help me, help me. I got to get out of this situation. My parents are trying to run away and I don't want to go mm-hmm. with them. And we're on page 203. I'm going to I'm going to start reading it. And then I want us to kind of break down each of the paragraphs slowly, because I think they reflect arguably most on Mrs fascinatingly on Mrs. Wormwood here, even though it's at the very end. So mea culpa, quote, the next moment, the Mm -hmm. two of them, her and Miss Honey, were running down the drive together and then out onto the road. And Matilda was ahead, pulling Miss Honey after her by her wrist. And it was a wild and wonderful dash that they made along the country lane and through the village to the house where Matilda's parents lived. The black Mercedes was still outside and now it's boot, a.k.a. it's trunk, for all us Americans and all its doors were open and Mr. And Mrs. Wormwood and the brother were scurrying around it like ants piling in the suitcases as Matilda and Miss Honey came dashing up. Daddy and mummy, Matilda burst out gasping for breath. I don't want to go with you. I want to stay here and live with Miss Honey. And she says I can, but only if you give me permission, please say yes. Go on, daddy. Say yes. Say yes, mummy. The father turned and looked at Miss Honey. You're that teacher woman who once came here to see me, aren't you? He said. Then he went back to stowing the suitcases in the car. Cool response, Dad. But at least, you know what? At least Mm -hmm. he sort of remembers. Uh, sort of. Right. (laughs) His wife said to him, this one will have to go on the back seat. There's no more room in the boot. In the trunk. So pause. Mm -hmm. Where's Matilda gonna sit? Right. If the suitcases are in the back seat. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I love that this is our one of my this is like the second time we see Mrs. Wormwood is trying to get the getaway vehicle as mm-hmm. stowed up and packed up as possible without involving Matilda at all. At the mm-hmm. point in which Matilda is first introduced on the scene, it's already established that the car is full to capacity everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But suitcases can still sit in a currently empty back seat. Mm-hmm. Huh. Not if your daughter's there. Yeah. <laughs> does Miss Honey come in for the assist? What does she say? I would love to have Matilda, Miss Honey said. I would look after her with loving care, Mr. Wormwood, and I would pay for everything. She wouldn't cost you a penny. But it was not my idea. It was Matilda's. And I will not agree to take her without your full and willing consent. Good job, Miss Honey. Looking out for the consent. Good job, Miss Honey. Love it. Mrs. Wormwood picks it up. Come on, Harry. The mother says, pushing a suitcase in the into the back seat. Car's full. Bye, Matilda. Can't oh, fit. Was so sad. Why don't we let her go if that's what she wants? It'll be one less to look after. Tough luck. Go, my child. Oh, man, then go to father. Better, Ugh, Mr. Wormwood. I'm in a hurry. The father said, "I've got a plane to catch. If she wants to stay, let her stay. It's fine with me." Yikes. Yikes. And he said, I've got a plane to catch there, too, not we. Where, where's mm. Mrs. Wormwood going? Mm-hmm. Where's Mrs. Wormwood taking the sun? Yes, where They're is... They're splitting up. Where, indeed. Up. The mm. whole... F- that's a good eye catch, Colleen. The, like, I'm trying to be lighthearted because right now my heart mm-hmm. is absolutely <laughs> racing and sad and devastated because as a child reading this... Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what a fantastical dream for her to be able to escape into a world with a loving, supporting, Mm -hmm. maternal figure who who encourages Matilda, wants her to learn, wants everything. How bloody fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Uh, But then you look at it as an adult and you're like, wait. Wait. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) They didn't what? sign anything. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Verbal um, consent. <laughs> cool. We're cool here just exchanging little children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not She's a six. Problem. It's fine. It's fine. Totally it's fine. fine. I and I'm and I'm trying to be lighthearted about it, but at the mm-hmm. at the core of this is a mother who I think knows she is not well suited for motherhood. Mm-hmm. And knows that her daughter's best chance of not only survival, but perhaps thriving mm-hmm. is in a household where this woman is cons- has consistently so like this isn't just some rando teacher popping no. up somewhere no. this is someone who has been to their home before mm-hmm. made it clear to both parents like i have this girl's interest in heart yes please yes. please mm-hmm. let me take her please i want her mm-hmm. this is one of those perverse times where it doesn't feel great saying but I'll go out on a limb and say, this might be the greatest act of motherhood Mrs. Wormwood mm-hmm. has done for Matilda since carrying her and making sure she has, frankly, lived at least yes. at least in some ways better than Harry Potter. And he didn't have mm-hmm. a fantastical, whimsical childhood mm-hmm. either. No. Um, but like the, sacrificing one's parental authority... Mm-hmm. is one of the hardest hardest mm-hmm. decisions to make yes and this is not one i think mrs wormwood took lightly and i think i think she's planned it maybe she has planned it maybe 
And I think, whimsy aside, mm-hmm. what a decision that was made. Yep. And, like, stab stab us in the heart. Quote, mm-hmm. the brother gave a little oh, wave Michael. through the rear window, but the other two didn't even look back. Mm. And we yeah. have to wonder, for Mr. Wormwood, in some ways it could be a relief finally leaving behind, assuming she's not his daughter and assuming this isn't problematic as truck, which it mm-hmm. is. He is in the yes. parental role, sir. You have signed up. Maybe the mother couldn't look back because it was just too hard. And again, mm-hmm. that doesn't make it right. No. That just... But it's better for Matilda. Might be what's happening here. Alright, so welcome back to chapter 6. To kick things off, we're going to give the short summary. Matilda, angered by her father's abuse, decides to strike back where it will hurt her father most. And we know that's his vanity and pride. Immediately, once again, choosing the chemical route, she sneaks into the family's bathroom before everyone in the household wakes and mixes in some of her mother's heavily potent hair-bleaching chemicals, a.k.a. her potion, into her father's hair lotion, knowing full well he (laughs) allegedly uses it to primp and preen and make his luscious locks even more glorious. Matilda is rewarded during breakfast when her father comes out of the bathroom and everyone sees the damage done to his hair once again. Her plan is so effective that everyone blames Harry for foolishly using his wife's hair products instead of his own, adding insults to his aesthetic injury. Yikes. Mm Mm-hmm. Poor Harry. Poor Harry. Bad guy. Bad situation. <laughs> and so when we turn to kind of our first quote into the detailed dorky dive of this chapter, we look to, quote, there was no doubt in Matilda's mind that this latest display of foulness by her father deserved severe punishment. As she sat eating her awful fried fish and fried chips, ignoring the television, her brain went to work on various possibilities. By the time she went to bed, her mind was made up. She is making a master plan and is gonna stick yes. to it. Yes, she is. I mean, at least she has follow through. Can you hit us with the language on Mrs. Wormwood's potion bottle? Yes. Excellent. All right. So this is Matilda and she's reading this bottle. It says, quote, caution. This is peroxide. Keep away from children. Matilda read it many times with fascination. So she knows how to read this label. We know that she already knows how to read. She knows she shouldn't be touching it, that it's dangerous because it says caution, big flashing letters. Yep. But she has a penchant for dangerous activities. She's not caring that she's touching this toxic chemical. No. And what I think is really clever is not only having Matilda have this kind of machination, but it being dovetailed with this circus ring illustration almost because Dull compares Mrs. Wormwood's hair to the platinum blonde of like female tightrope walkers and it's this silvery Mm -hmm. thing 
what is this kind of Vila like fascination <laughs> that yes. we keep falling back on with these like silver Daenerys silver Starborn hair. locks? Yes. Yeah. So something unique. Exactly. Special. And so we contrast that with the fine crop of dark black Harry Potter almost level mm-hmm. locks of Mr. Wormwood. And mm-hmm. this is something that he's peacock proud about. Oh, yes. It's like the one thing he's got. Colleen, did you want to talk at all about his grooming regimen in the bathroom? Yes, of course. I can definitely get into that. One of the funniest things about this that I looked into doing a little bit of research was that violets are or in or in the brand name of the hair lotion he uses. So he's using these Violet symbolizing modesty and humility, and he exercises none of that. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition that Dahl has given us here. All right, so here we're going to go into his grooming regime, quote directly from the book. This hair and scalp massage was always accompanied by loud masculine grunts and heavy breathing and gasps of, ah, that's better. That's the stuff. Rub it right into the roots, which could clearly be heard by Matilda in her bedroom across the corridor. And we have to wonder, kind of like in some of our favorite things, this is one of those moments where we look back at adults and giggle Mm. at it, possibly (laughs) for completely different reasons when we first did. But either way, the punchline lands, in in my (laughs) opinion. (laughs) Oh, yeah, completely. I read that and was like, oh, my stars. Like, oh, geez, what is he up to in there? Now, to get into kind of a bocab-like moment of sorts, his hair, Mr. Wormwood's hair, falls out or is going to fall out. This is this is mm-hmm. the fear. We're not sure it's going to fall out. And Matilda thinks and says Shakespeare was brainy but bald. And this is one of those moments that we like flagging and I hear your kitty cat and I love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Duncan is whining. I don't know what he's whining about, but yeah. This is one of those moments, again, where we see Matilda say something that's not actually necessarily true. Mm -hmm. We know now, historically speaking, that Shakespeare might have actually been the name of several different writers using the same, what is it? Nom de plume. Nom de plume. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Like the writer's name. And so it's really interesting that once again, we always think, Uh, stepping away from the story Matilda is this absolutely intellectual dynamite genius but that doesn't mean that you can't make mistakes and be Mm -hmm. wrong right Mm -hmm. exactly he actually asks her about Shakespeare like what she means which is kind of interesting because he never really asks her opinion oh that is a good point but in this aspect he's like oh did Shakespeare have really great hair too? Like, oh, I must be really smart like Shakespeare. That's it. That's <laughs> it. You're absolutely like, right. Oh, no, you're not. So then he's actually trying to connect a little bit here. He's trying and Matilda just shoots him down. <laughs> and so, sometimes I, I wonder, dear listeners, like, let we not be confused with Save Mr. Wormwood. <laughs> like, this mm-hmm, isn't that right. podcast. But like, right, that is a no. really sweet point that you pointed out, Colleen. Oh, my goodness. All right. So now I'm going to look at something that's probably a little bit of a touchy subject. Kids, maybe put on your earmuffs for part of this. So Mr. Rumwin has dyed his hair. Unfortunately, he didn't notice it. He's walking into the kitchen, thinks he looks like hot stuff, as always. And so Mrs. Wormwood has dropped the tray after seeing him. And the son, Michael, says, quote, Oh my God, Dad, what have you done to your hair? 
And then it says, quote, a dirty silver, the color this time of a tightrope walker's tights that had not been washed for an entire circus season. Yikes. So really like dishwater, probably gray, just gross. Maybe not. Maybe a little green, too. Peroxide does have a tendency to turn hair a little bit green. In contrast to the bright, shiny, silvery, <laughs> glittery circus tightrope. Beautiful hair. Gangster Mrs. Wormwood. Harry is just not a, he's a gray <laughs> exactly. mess. Exactly. He's looking like trash. Yeah, he's looking like trash. And then his wife goes on to say, quote, what on earth were you trying to do? Make yourself look handsome or something? You look like someone's grandmother gone wrong. So basically, they keep coming back to emasculating him. Yep. Like comparing him to a woman, an old woman, saying he looks terrible. And this is like his pride and joy is his hair. So he, everything that he probably puts into his appearance is about his hair. Yep. And this comes back to how we spoke about the oil of violet situation, what he might be actually doing in the bathroom, kind of rolled doll, maybe poking a little bit of fun at this person who thinks, oh, yes, I look like I look great. And there's there's a point where he follows this and seems to almost admit his ephemerate appearance as if there's anything wrong mm-hmm. with that, first of all, folks. Yeah. When mm-hmm. he yells in response to his wife's critiques of his new looks, oh my God, I look terrible. I just, I look like you gone wrong. I mean, this is one of those kind of tropes that Doll returns to with the different sized ants and the, the idea of someone being super, super pole-like thin next to a very... Mm-hmm frankly morbidly obese individual and very comical whimsical dichotomy here and the idea of harry looking like his wife Mm -hmm. no way shape or form and it really it really makes me want to have like gotten a chance to sit down with roald Dahl (laughs) Dahl. and and, like just listen to him burn people throughout the normal course of his day completely and like the the thought of like the loss of hair, the burning scalp kind of makes you think of maybe STDs. It makes you think yep. of impotence. And so just when Mr. Wormwood's day, which just began, could not get any worse, Matilda drops an absolute bomb by hmm. quietly suggesting that she imagines he wasn't looking very hard gaslight much young lady and simply Mm -hmm. quote took mummy's bottle of hair stuff off the shelf instead of your own so like wait she just happens (laughs) to figure this out at the breakfast table no big deal she just expects her family to believe that that's exactly what happens and Mm -hmm. i see how doll's books can be critiqued because yo she gets away with it And readers of this book, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in the family hierarchy, gets to see like, yo, if you're smart enough and you lie (laughs) successfully, you're going to get away with it. And that to me is absolutely fascinating to revisit in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Because precocious me. Yeah. (laughs) Precocious me is like, oh, that's that's sort of a harm harmful, harmless April Fool's Day joke. But if it ever happened to me, mm-hmm. hair is a very big identifier for a lot of different people and for a lot of different yes. cultures. And so yes. I hear you, Mr. Wormwood. I hear you. Right. To continue the pain further, Mrs. Wormwood 
continues lambasting him by yelling at him to not, for him to be reading these labels before you quote unquote start splashing stuff all over you mm-hmm. and it dawns on her before it dawns on him that he might lose his hair yes. entirely and it's interesting for us to really take a step back and actually think on the fact that this woman is teaching her grown man husband how peroxide works. Mm-hmm. And let's also be clear, there are certain there are certain things that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Like my husband's listening in the other room, but one <laughs> so maybe he'll Does tell he me know what peroxide is. <laughs> maybe he'll tell me to cut this. But one time I got this really nice facial cleaning, like exfoliating thing. Mm-hmm. And he tried it for the first time a few months ago and it was like what is this so like again i want to be fair to mr wormwood maybe he's never maybe he's never allowed himself to touch his precious little locks with anything so why even learn about peroxide returning to this idea of potential gender disparities in roll dolls writing and returning to that quote we parsed a lot earlier where Mrs. Wormwood gives the quote-unquote sage advice to her daughter who soaks in everything like a sponge, that she's afraid men are not always quite as clever as they think they are, and you will learn that when you get a little bit older, my girl. She's learning it right now in the household from mommy and daddy Mm -hmm. dearest, but Colleen, can you shed some light to the extent we see a difference at all in the genders of the protagonists in Doll, the protagonists within Matilda, this story itself, and what influence at all Doll's own life might have in those artistic choices? Of course. All right. So Matilda is Doll's most prominent female protagonist. There is another young girl, Sophie, in the BFG, but Matilda is his most famous. And you, this is his last book that he published as well. So it's kind of like he's shifting his focus mm-hmm. from male protagonists over to the female protagonists, which is interesting. He's later in his life. He might be looking back on mistakes that he made with his daughters, with his wife, maybe even with his new wife. And he's thinking, you know, we need girls to start reading more as well and to feel more empowered. It's that kind of thing where even in Matilda itself, all of the main characters besides Mr. Wormwood are women. You have Matilda, Miss Honey, Miss Trunchbull, Mrs. Wormwood, and then you have Mr. Wormwood. Even the librarian is female. You do have some of the students, of course, are male and female, and Michael is male. But all of the prominent characters, especially the trinity of Miss Honey, Matilda, and Trunchbull are women. Yep, And even even Miss Honey's father He's just a ghost. He's the memory of a man, really. Yep. So all we have is poor Mr. Emasculated Wormwood (laughs) and these three titanic women. Yes, Miss Honey is a little bit more quiet, but she's also has an amazing intellect and has a force of will of her own. And they all pretty much steamroll over Mr. Wormwood. Absolutely. Even Trunchbull. Absolutely. And do you think Dahl ever felt that way in his life? Is that reflected in anything of his biography is perhaps mr wormwood an almost avatar for doll's worst inclinations sometimes now that i've got the benefit of the guest hosts who have taught me so much about doll i i wonder if there's some projection happening there Mm -hmm. 
Well, and they always say, this is me as an author coming in. I put a little bit of myself in each character and some more than others. I would say Mr. Roman probably has a lot more characteristics of Dahl himself than Dahl would even realize. Mm -hmm. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know that you're putting yourself into these characters. And this might be him kind of apologizing for some of the things that he did earlier in his life. It could be, even if it's subconsciously, yeah. which would be kind of nice to think on. He's getting older and he's like, you know what? We're going to make the father figure the butt of the joke throughout this entire book, right. which is kind of interesting to see because all of his other male protagonists have been the forefront. And even their side characters like Willy Wonka, Grandpa Joe in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory are men. Yep. And what's what's interesting, as we tend to do here at BGS, is make references to Harry Potter. My mm. understanding is J.K.R., the obvious author, chose intentionally to have the male protagonist as the lead because she wanted to encourage boys to read because there's a gender disparity there. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing, folks. It cuts both ways for different reasons, and that's why we Mm -hmm. just want to have this be a cool place to think on these things, which is perhaps a nice segue for us to wrap things up with that thought to think on. So our thought to think on is, is Matilda abusing her intellect? Should we feel empathy for her parents, particularly Mr. Wormwood in this sense, if he cannot keep up mentally with his daughter? We definitely know that we feel empathy for Michael, who must realize how special his sister is. But we can also think on how does sibling rivalry figure into the story, even if we're not seeing it on page. Absolutely. And to piggyback on that and to dovetail, empathy for one character or one person in our lives does not mean that we have to negate or take away from empathy from another character or another person Mm -hmm. for another reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now that we're at the end of the episode, as we as hosts have escalated the pace in which we're trying to produce this pod and escalate our exploration through Matilda to try and eventually reach new books and certainly reach school, we are very much like the protagonist and the other characters in the story, accelerating and getting closer and closer to this new reservoir of knowledge where we get to burst forth into school, which I am so pumped about. Mm -hmm. So, so pumped about. We're heading into the apotheosis for Matilda. She's heading into her hero's journey. This was just the beginning. This was just the beginning. So I suppose to kind of end things on a positive note, because as we explore this book and we parse some of these things, there is darkness here and it would be a disservice not to highlight them. But we have to not be consumed by that, which can be hard to remember as we muddle through this text. So Mm -hmm. I would say... Whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, let's all pretend as if we're going to school for the first time. We are about to meet one of the best teachers in fiction, and I will put my host reputation on that. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Buckle in for Miss Honey. 
she is she is what we need at this point in time for Matilda to kind of de-escalate before she becomes an obscurial. Yes, for sure. We need the light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you, dear listener, for turning into episode six and joining Colleen and myself next week. Well, in next episode or in two episodes, I suppose. Um, this was a longer recording than I intended, but that's what happens when you get some voracious readers in good company together. <laughs> Um, I'll be joined with Flo, who is a teacher and a mother, and I cannot wait. She's our friend group, Miss Honey. Y'all are in for mm -hmm. a flipping treat. Please remember, rate us on different platforms to the extent you're allowed, but let's be back the robots and have that human connectivity. Literally, tell a friend. Tell a friend, grab a book, wands up, and keep those pages turning. And feel free to say one sub too if you want Colleen. Okay, I can do it. All right, everybody. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, voracious readers. Wands up and keep those pages turning. There we go. We did it. We did it. There it, it is. <laughs>